You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen. On Tuesday, October 19th, Queen's University announced that a university legal tech team has launched a digital mediator system for COVID-19 vaccination claims. The Conflict Analytics Lab at Queen's, in partnership with researchers from Oxford University, University College Dublin, and the British Institute of International and Comparative Law, have launched this online dispute resolution tool called Vaccine Mediator, designed to promote equitable and efficient compensation for individuals experiencing unintended side effects from COVID-19 vaccines. In this episode, we are joined by Professor Samuel Daon from the Faculty of Law and Director of the Conflict Analytics Lab to discuss the vaccine mediator, its development and implementation. Welcome, Samuel. Hi, Dinah. How are you? Oh, fantastic. So before launching into this vaccine mediator itself, can you tell us a little bit about the work done at the Conflict Analytics Lab and what you do there? Yes, of course. So the Conflict Analytics Lab is a consortium uh, interested in in conflict resolution and analytics and AI. So we use uh, AI methods to look at how to make uh, conflict resolution more efficient. Um, so, and we have, I mean, we're very much interested in applied research. So we work with other partner organizations uh, who hold a lot of data on negotiation, mediation agreements, a lot could be law firms, the public sector, and we help them to process that data and, and just be a little bit smarter on how they resolve their, their disputes. Uh, and on the other hand, we have, I mean, which is our biggest um, area of research is what we call legal aid, uh, open access legal aid. So. We and 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 that's where the vaccine mediator would fit in. It's uh, we create um, online applications uh, to help individuals and small companies to understand basic rights. So it could be, for example, what are my chances of winning a case? It could be, oh, during COVID I was laid off. What are my what is my termination compensation and what are my options? So. So there is an application that we launched last year called My Open Court, mm-hmm. and this application is is what we call an AI legal aid system, and it helps individuals and small companies to assess their broadly you could say the odds of winning a case and whether they should hire a lawyer and then whether they shouldn't hire a lawyer whether they are entitled to something and so on. All right, and now what brought you into the world of conflict analytics itself? What drives your passion for this type of research? Okay, so that's two two different stories. So, so the first one is I was always interested in in, in negotiation and, and conflict resolution when I was in law school, and then I I had um, um, I had the opportunity uh, to do an exchange, uh, part of my master's, uh, my LLM at Harvard Law School at the program of negotiation. So, and that's where I started being interested in in how to resolve disputes outside the courtroom. I mean, very early on, I realized that in the area where I was interested, which is employment law, uh, consumer protection, 
some trademark cases. Most of these disputes are resolved through negotiations, so I felt like it's probably better to improve, to develop my uh, conflict resolution skills rather than my litigation skills. So that's how I got interested in that. So then after later on, I did a PhD in what we used to call empirical legal studies, which is, I mean, many people would disagree with me, but it's the application of statistical methods to legal data. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and so, so data science and now AI definitely fall, would fall potentially in this category of empirical legal studies. And then after that, I, I, after the PhD, I, uh, I was less interested in that. So I, became a practitioner. I worked with the European Court of Justice and, and the French Supreme Court for a couple of years. And I got more interested in, in data science when I started working on consistency of the case law of the court. I realized that there was a lot of issues because judges and lawyers of the court were unable to just be consistent, not necessarily because they didn't want to be consistent, because there's just too much data to process. I realized that I was more interested in looking at new tools to help lawyers to just be more efficient at data retrieval. I mean, lawyers, we just, how the way we work, we look at precedents. And sometimes the problem is like, it's very hard to find the right precedent, or at least a series, or sometimes even a series of precedent that will inform our decision. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we end up doing cherry picking. And what, what I like about data science is that it helps us to reduce the intuitive work and do a little more data-driven approach to the law and, and how to resolve, we resolve conflict. Wow, thank you so much. So let's move over to the new vaccine mediator. Tell us about it. What is this new system? Okay, so so it's an, an online platform that uh, does three things. So first, it helps individuals who experience uh, severe side effects uh, and also mild side effects, but it, it to, to self-report there are side effects in, uh, uh, they're resulting from the, the vaccine. Uh, if they experience adverse side effects, they may move forward and determine whether they're eligible to uh, compensation or, and then eventually, if they are, uh, we match them with a, what we call a mediation caseworker. So someone who will help them to understand what are the issues they're facing. Maybe there is a health, emotional component as well, and help them also to discuss what are the legal options. And usually both in Canada and the US, so that's where the vaccine year works, we help them to submit a claim uh, to the vaccine compensation schemes, either in Quebec, Canada, federal Canada, or the US. Okay, all right. And now what is it uh, that, what factors motivated its development? So, so the fact that motivated is different. So we started working with my uh, collaborators at the Oxford Vaccine Group and the uh, and the Bickel British Institute for Comp International and Comparative Law. Uh, they've been working in this area for quite some time. So mostly um, vaccine injury and and on the va Oxford Vaccine Group is mostly the acceptability of vaccines. Mm -hmm. So a year and a half ago, way before the vaccine uh, was, uh, I mean, was launched. We realized that, uh, and we, based on like the research and the evidence, we found that acceptability and vaccine uptake is very much driven by a good no-fault compensation scheme. So why is that? People realize that okay, if the government is going to uh, take the risk of like compensating those who really experience severe, only severe side effect, I mean, it's probably a very good vaccine. Okay, so um, you could also flip the argument and say, no, maybe they know that's a bad vaccine. That's why they're ready to compensate. But I mean, the data shows that 
uh, it's more like an insurance system. There's only a handful of people that will experience very severe side effect. And, mm -hmm. and the law says, like, you know, you don't need to prove that there is a mistake that was made by the pharmaceutical company. The government will step in and say, you know, someone needs to look after you. So second motivation is, as a lawyer, I mean, no matter what else, you, in, like the, I'm not an expert in acceptability. Mm -hmm. and that would be a separate discussion for my uh, uh, um, researchers, and there's plenty of papers available in this area. But in my, from my perspective as a lawyer, there's an access to justice problem. So the, the, those who took the vaccine have taken some, of, some kind of a risk for the benefit to society, and, it's a, and, 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 and most of the time it works well. And those who will be sick have to be looked after, and especially if we want to maintain a certain level of trust uh, and, and encourage people to take the vaccine. They know that if they get sick, eventually they will be looked after. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in this regard, then, what would qualify as vaccine injury? And in what circumstances might average people find themselves needing to access this particular system? Uh, so I think this system also will help people who experience side effects, which are normal. I mean, side effect vaccine, we all experience it. I mean, fatigue, I mean, uh, I mean, it could be all sort of things. Mm -hmm. And and I think for a lot of people who experience this side effect, they can check, I mean, the application to realize that their side effects are not that much of a big deal. And, and only severe, severe side effect will be compensated. By severe side effect, I mean, it depends also how the U.S. Uh, compensation scheme see side effect. It depends also, it's, very, it's slightly different from the Canadian and the Quebec system, but it has to be a massive, there must be a massive impact on your life. So that means you, you, you basically cannot work in the same way and so on. So, so, so I think it's also very useful for those who think they may be experiencing some kind of side effect and realize that that's part of the, that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And also for research, it helps us also to monitor and and, and understand a little bit better what are the, the consequences of the vaccine and also how people respond to this. Maybe it's just mainly based on fear. Maybe it's just based on actual side effect. And and so, so, so I would say the answer to your question is for everyone. Everyone who is really either they are experiencing severe adverse effect and those who also don't really experience anything and just want to know what's going on with their, why they're experiencing the kind of thing, which are pretty normal and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And now for the, for the work that you've been doing, how does this vaccine mediator system then fit directly into the scope and mandate of the conflict analytics lab? Where is it within the whole project? So, so for us, it's it's very much uh, uh, it fits within our mandate of access to justice. We think mm -hmm. one, the, the governments, uh, so both Canada and also European governments, should be applauded very much applauded for putting together. Especially, Canada didn't have a vaccine composition schemes until uh, uh, June this year, mm -hmm. and but we think that the procedural aspect is a little bit obscure and and. And this, there is potentially an access to justice problem. So we felt we can create a piece of technology that can help the individuals who are experiencing severe side effect to achieve to submit a complaint uh, 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 faster, and it has to be smooth. They don't have because right now the system is a little bit. You have to to print. Uh, uh, a document, you have to go to send the document to a doctor. So it's it's a little bit of a, um, I'd say, a pain for <laughs> most individuals. So it felt like this is a, a, a barrier to access justice. There's also another problem, which is 
the law is very unclear on what constitutes the various side effects. So the machine that we built, so the AI system we built, helps. It's a very simple, it's actually a rule-based system. We're hoping to make it smart in the future, but the first iteration just helps the individuals, the to us, the users to assess whether they're entitled to something. So again, mm -hmm. it fits again with like, what are my rights? What are, I mean, we're not trying to come up with something. I mean, there's not like groundbreaking uh, 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 predictions here. A lawyer would be able to do that, but most lawyer, most people are not trained as lawyers and wouldn't know whether you know they are entitled to something or not. And I think here that would fit very much into our access to justice mandate by facilitating access to 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 uh, to this to the compensation scheme and at the same time also understanding one of my rights mm -hmm. okay all right and now where might individuals find more information about the vaccine mediator system so on our i mean on our website i mean on the application so it's called vaccine mediator uh, and or the conflict analytics that website and queen so 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 it is within the the um uh the overall uh uh access to legal aid application that i described earlier called my open court so it's one of the tools in my open court and uh, yeah everything is explained i mean how you know the process i mean it's very self i mean it's very intuitive it's just not there's no i mean it's just a bunch of questions the users will have to answer and the machine will just determine what are the you know what is the eligibility of the of the of the users okay thank you so much anything else to add before we close today samuel um, no, 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 thank you so much. <laughs> All right, folks, we have been talking with Samuel Dow about the new vaccine mediator. The Conflict Analytics Lab here at Queen's University has developed with its partners at Oxford University, University College Dublin, and the British Institute of International and Comparative Law. Thank you very much for joining us today and sharing so much about this new innovation. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Dinah. Have a good day. Hello and welcome back to Campus Beat. On October 19th, Queen's University announced that the Department of Biomedical and Molecular Science Professor Maha Othman's research, going back as far as 15 years ago, is once again being discussed after reports of blood clots associated with certain COVID-19 vaccines began occurring. For example, vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia, or VITT, is an extremely rare side effect that happens in a subset of the population following AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccinations. Dr. Othman's 2007 paper that looked at blood clots and adenovirus has now been cited in nearly all of the papers coming out about VITT. And in a span of two months over the spring, over 30 articles were published on this issue. So in this segment, we are joined by Dr. Maha Othman, who is here to talk about her research and its ongoing impact. Welcome, Maha. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to meet you virtually and uh, to discuss these issues. But first, can, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do in the Department of Biomedical and Molecular Science here at Queen's University? 
Right. So I'm a specialist hemostasis by training. And what this means is I'm a hematologist who trains specifically for bleeding and clotting disorders. And this is a specific category. And underneath there's platelet disorders. And I have worked for the past uh, few decades on platelet and related clotting uh, problems. And that's what, what I do here at Queen's University in Kingston. Okay. So, so are you a double doctor then? You have a medical doctor degree and a PhD? Correct. So I am an MD, PhD, and uh, my specialty is hematology, hemostasis. And I did my PhD actually in Southampton, uh, UK. And I specialized in molecular genetics of uh, von Liebrand disease and hemophilia. Those were also bleeding disorders and then came to Canada and uh, did the work uh, as a postdoctoral fellow with Dr. David Lelikrap here at Queen's, a uh, famous uh, scientist and a specialist in hemostasis and molecular genetics of bleeding and clotting disorders. Amazing. Now, for some of our stu- students in uh, life sciences out there, what inspired you to get involved uh, or, or pursue a path in hematology? Where well, I've always been fascinated with blood. And I think blood running in blood vessels, which is, are the channels that really uh, runs everywhere in your body, uh, this means that blood has a role in almost everything and almost every biological aspect in your body. And indeed, it does affect the function of all organs and all systems. So that to me was always fascinating. And because it's complexity, it really is hard sometimes to figure out the mechanisms of how blood and blood cells are involved uh, in in those processes. You can find blood clotting really important in any sort of injury in the body and inflammation, in many diseases, in cancer, in pregnancy. So that's really, to to me, is all fascinating. All right. Well, thank you so much. Now, uh, let's go to your article itself. In layperson's terms, can you you tell us about these research findings that that you produced way back in 2007 that is now, again, getting so much attention? Let's hear more about that article. Right. So it's actually very interesting. So 15 years ago, as you just said, uh, I was a postdoctoral fellow and I was in the lab growing adenovirus. And the reason for that was we wanted to understand the relationship between the virus and platelets. Mm -hmm. And this came after some reports in literature who showed in animal models that uh, you get low platelet count if you inject adenovirus. And at the time, adenovirus was used for gene therapy trials. It was a a hot topic at the time, and people were trying to understand this this virus. And it is useful to use for many different applications, but people were not very clear about its side effects. So we, I mean, I was particularly interested to see why thrombocytopenia, which means low platelet happen when you administer the virus intravenously, meaning inside the veins of the animals. Mm -hmm. So this was the finding, but the mechanism was not clear. So I took it further and I said, I'm going to just combine both in a tube and see what happens. And from there, we we, uh, planned several experiments in vitro outside the animal, but also in, in uh, in animals to see biologically why does this happen? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's hear a little bit more too about what that research actually looked like in, in the lab itself. Right. So we grow the virus uh, in the lab in large quantity, and this is a virus that easy, is easy to work with, and it's not a replication competent, meaning when you inject it to a human or animal bodies, uh, we actually devoid it from the genetic aspect that makes it replicant, so it's, it's safe in a way. However, because it's foreign, 
uh, it induces some immune response inside the human body or the animal. Now, the research that we did is basically two things. We uh, in, in incubated the, uh, the virus together with normal blood to see the effect on platelet. And what we have shown is the platelet automatically and quickly does get activated. And what this means is it shows marker on the surface, indicator of activation. And when a platelet is activated, meaning it's ready to, to trigger a clot, essentially. So that was an evidence for us that it can trigger clotting. The other thing that we showed in when we injected the virus inside the animal, we showed in vivo, so inside when we took blood after injection, we showed the same thing. The platelets got activated within the 24 hours after the injection. We also showed that the, re the release from something called Vomerbrand factor, which is a sticky protein that comes in from the endothelium, which are the cells line your blood vessels. And mm -hmm. all of these events are really events that are happening uh, in, in, in response to injury. So when, when the body is ready to clot, so we have this VWF released from the endothelium and it's a large quantity and it's also in the most act active form that leads to clotting. So we showed those two things and that was interesting because if it happens so rapidly, then I thought about direct interaction between the platelet and the virus. And indeed, I did uh, planned a new, another experiment to show the receptor that is known for that virus, adenovirus. And indeed, we, to our interest, our, our surprise, we found that the CAR receptor, which is the protein receptor for the virus, was expressed on the platelet, on, on the platelet. And we did this in the human blood outside the animal, and we showed it also in the uh, animal a platelet. So both the human and animal platelet showed uh, the CAR receptor, which mm -hmm. was a discovery. So that was shown for the first time in our lab. Okay. Wow. Thank you. So now let's hear more about VITT and COVID-19 vaccinations. Right. So <laughs> we lived through the pandemic and when the vaccine, uh, the vaccines uh, started, when, when the first uh, side effect was shown, and this was shown actually in, um, in Norway, Germany and, um, and the UK, the three first reports of VITT have really been published in pretty much the same journal in the New England Journal of Medicine. And that is a famous journal. And basically the three reports have shown a small number of cases where after AstraZeneca, the up to five days up until 40 days in females under 55, those people have shown um, the clots, the blood clots, low platelet count, and some other symptoms. And the blood clots were in different sites, mainly the brain and somewhere in the abdomen. And that was astonishing. And I didn't actually connect the dots until we saw the same side effect also with, uh, with Johnson & Johnson. The two technologies of the vaccine in AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson are, all, are both based on adenovirus technology. Only then I actually thought well, adenovirus must have a role. Mm -hmm. So the idea of adenovirus inducing some of this, I think it's not far away. And I think it's still a theory that we need to, to prove. Based on our work 15 years ago, indeed, the adenovirus can directly activate the platelet. However, I must say something. Now, the, the vaccine is injected intramuscularly. All the effects that we've shown triggering blood clot and the endothelial effect and whatnot have been done after injection of the virus intravenously. 
So the theory that I'm proposing and supported by some of my other colleagues is that some of the mm-hmm. vaccine can leak from the intramuscular injection into blood, into the bloodstream, into the circulation. And if the virus sees the platelet, all of the things that I have shown 15 years ago may happen. Now, mind you, human and animals are different. The dose that we used and the strain of the, of the adenovirus is different as well. However, the theory could still apply. And indeed, we have shown this as one of the proposed mechanism out of seven other, uh, six other mechanisms, a total of seven, in our recent article in the Journal of Thrombosis and Hemostasis that I published, together with experts in the world who are uh, experts in virology, experts in vaccinology, and together with Dr. David Ladycraft, actually, who was my mentor uh, in my postdoctoral work. Okay, so it sounds like uh, your past research and ongoing research is still having a, an impact. Are, are there uh, any collaborations that you're working on right now to develop the theories and and applying uh, the practice of your pa- past research into current research and development uh, with others? Correct. And uh, there are many labs around the world who are working. Uh, Dr. Andreas uh, Greenacre in, uh, in Germany, certainly a, a famous clinical scientist who's working in the lab on uh, other theories uh, related to platelet factor four antibodies. And he's generated some in- important data and published also that uh, theory. And he himself, even in some of the articles have not denied the idea that adenovirus could be at least in part, be part of the theory. Uh, but like you said, I collaborated with those experts uh, around the world to, to p- provide a forum for discussion. And this JTH paper mm-hmm. recently published is a forum to discuss proposed theory and mechanism that could could be possible for us and for other labs around the world to, you know, to go after with experimental plans. All right. Thank you so much. Anything else to add, Maha? Well, I think that the the topic is important and it's important to educate the public. And I must emphasize that the incidence of VITT is extremely rare and the, uh, the, the benefit of the vaccine outweigh the risk of VITT and its problems. So I strongly encourage uh, people to get their vaccines if they have not already done so to protect their themselves and their communities. And that's how we can fight uh, this pandemic. Okay, thank you, folks. We have been chatting with Professor Maha Othman of the Department of Biomedical and Molecular Science here at Queen's University about the continued impact of her research in blood clots and adenovirus and its impact on under understanding VITT today and the coronavirus vaccines. Thank you so much, Maha, for your valuable time. We really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me.